This is Trish Bertuzzi, author of the Sales Development Playbook, Build Repeatable Pipeline and Accelerate Growth with Inside Sales. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. And don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Trish Bertuzzi, and we're going to talk about her new book, the number one Amazon bestseller, The Sales Development Playbook. Build Repeatable Pipeline and Accelerate Growth with Inside Sales. Trish Bertuzzi is the founder, president, and chief strategist of The Bridge Group, the largest inside consulting and implementation firm in North America. Her team at The Bridge Group works with B2B technology companies, helping them to unleash the power of inside sales. To date, they have helped over 250 technology companies build repeatable pipeline and accelerate growth. Now, the bio she sent me did not include these, but I wanted to. I found them elsewhere. Her recognition and awards include being a top 25 sales influencer, a top 25 most influential in inside sales, top 50 sales and marketing influencers, and top 50 most influential people in sales lead management. Talk about sales royalty. Trish, congratulations on the sales development playbook, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So you've described this book as one of your life's major accomplishments and that this is your first and last book. Why is that? Well, it was never my burning desire to be an author. It was almost something that I had to do. I had to put my voice out there. A very wise woman by the name of Jill Conrath, who I'm sure you, oh, you yes. know of. And yes. I hope to get her on the show in the future oh, with her fabulous. next book. Yeah. She's fabulous. Her, she has a new book coming out shortly. Yes. She said to me, you own the space, so just write the damn book and own the space. So that was my impetus for writing the book. But I'll tell you, it's really hard to write a book when you're running a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> and it's not a year like that is not something that's ever I'm going to put myself through again. No. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're done. One and done. <laughs> just like just like my child. I had one He's perfect. I was done. Same with the book. Right, right. And uh, another author who was on the show named Tom Martin, he wrote The Invisible Sale. And uh, he was telling me that uh, after he wrote that book, someone at a party had asked his wife, uh, when when is Tom coming out with his next book? And his wife said, I don't know. Ask his next wife. (laughs) That's awesome. Yep. So I, th- I think my friends and family would concur with that. Right, right. Well, now this is the Marketing Book Podcast, um, but I can't get enough sales books on here because I think it's so important that marketers understand more about sales because, frankly, it's going to make them a better marketer. But why is it probably more important for marketers to better understand sales now uh, than in the past? I just think that the the line or the wall between the two functions has been pushed down by our buyers. 
I think that sales is now about being a great marketer, building a personal brand, um, curating content, delivering information that used to fall under the domain of strictly the marketing organization. So I think sales has become great marketers if they're to be successful. And I think marketing really has to understand how sales engages with their buyers. So they really need to walk in those shoes as well to understand how to help each other. So that reaching across the aisle that we absolutely never see it in our political climate <laughs> is, is certainly starting to happen in our professional and business climates. And, and, and I think it's a distinct advantage to our buyers. Yes. And it's almost like there's a gravitational pull that's that's just pulling the marketing and the sales functions <laughs> together, whether whether they like it or not. They're just being forced to to work together. Um, now, one quote from the book, you said, it's, it has been my experience that many executives view sales development as a sort of chemical reaction. Hire a team, add one part CRM to two parts leads and list, and poof, instant revenue. Sadly, it's not quite that simple. And you go on to say that you were compelled to write the book because of a major problem you're seeing. Can, can you explain that, that big problem? Well, the impetus was partly the fact that I was really pissed off. Um, I was I was angry. Trish, I don't want you to hold back on this podcast. <laughs> I was angry with all the books I was reading or the pundits I was listening to that were saying sales development is the next biggest thing, and here's how you should implement it, or here's how Salesforce.com implemented sales development, and you should do it too. <laughs> and I was like, Are you kidding me? I'm nothing like Salesforce.com. I don't have the same buyer, market, solution. I'm in a different place in the technology adoption life cycle. You name it, a million different variables, but nobody was talking about those variables. Mm -hmm. So I started a hashtag. I actually use it a lot. It's called Variables Matter. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book was to help companies think through what their variables are what decisions that leads them to, and how those decisions dramatically impact their implementation. Mm -hmm. Your situation reminds me a little bit of Adele Ravella's book, Buyer Personas, where it, she, she just finally had to write the book to get it right for everybody. She was tired of, of, all, <laughs> of a lot of the uh, you know, sort of black magic people had cloaked uh, in buyer personas. Exactly. So, well, I can relate. You can. So just a couple definitions for the listeners who may not be familiar. Explain what inside sales is. So inside sales is very much an umbrella term that's used nowadays for anyone that's using the phone, web, and social media to either develop pipeline or generate revenue. In bridge group language, uh, we call sales development the front end of the sales process. So those people that are charted with getting your sellers to engagement and then anything that's actually to do with generating revenue or carrying quota, we label inside sales. 
Okay, okay. And as it relates to sales development, you say, let me just quote from the book, it's a specialized role focused on the front end of the sales process, like you just said, qualifying inbound leads and or conducting outbound prospecting to generate sales. That's correct. So uh, you explain that there are two major waves that are colliding uh, and, and changing the way uh B2B selling and buying are done. Can you explain those two big waves? Yeah. So the first wave is that our buyers are inundated with white noise. They're getting pursued by people using the phone, by people using marketing automation as spam cannons, by LinkedIn in-mails and requests for connections. Sometimes they're even getting targeted via text or Twitter. So they're inundated in all this white noise. And, and we're starting to lose our ability to be heard. So that's sort of one wave. The second wave is that our sellers are just as busy. They, you know, the sales process really has elongated Mm -hmm. and more people are involved in the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So when those two waves sort of collide, it created this really well-defined requirement for something like sales development. People who are completely focused on the front end of the sales process. And in the book, we sort of lay it out as the five whys along the buyer's journey. Yes, and if you could explain those, those were terrific and those are great for marketers as well. Sure. So if you're a buyer, you know, the five whys are why listen, why care, why change, why you, and why now. So sales development is responsible for why listen, why care. Sales is responsible for why change, why you, why now. And when you think about that, that sort of sets the stage. How far down the path do you want your sales development teams to take the opportunity? Is it introductory meetings, which is just why listen, or is it qualified opportunities, which is both why listen and why care? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the handoff is, is uh, really crucial there. And I think maybe in the past, or I guess maybe still, a lot of companies are having the same person do, do the whole thing. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's just something you have to evaluate within your own organization. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly worked well at uh, a number of companies where they've been able to specialize it um, right down to even uh, some folks are dealing with inbound leads and some are dealing with more of the outbound approach. Absolutely. So in sales, there is this well-worn, probably pretty well-known uh, acronym called BANT and uh, stands for Budget, Authority, Need, and Timing. And you say that qualifying for BANT when you're dealing with the prospect is like going on a first date and asking for a credit report. Explain why it's not really appropriate to use that for for sales development reps anymore. Well, I mean, it's fallen by the wayside. I mean, once again, buyers have more information at their fingertips than ever before. So they're pretty well versed when they're looking for a solution. And when you engage with them and start saying, you know, are you the decision maker? (laughs) Do you have budget? 
Mm-hmm. Do you have a need? What's your time frame? I mean, they pretty much are sitting there going, oh my God, you're banned qualifying me. How <laughs> lame can you be? I mean, they're not stupid. They know that. Right. What they do want from that conversation is something they don't already know. You need to surprise them with information mm-hmm. and with knowledge. So asking them banned questions just doesn't cut it anymore. So you also talk in the book about I think an alternative, which is PACT, P-A-C-T. Can you explain yeah. that one? I like it. So, I mean, PACT is just one of many alternatives out there. It's just something that we talk about here at um, the Bridge Group. And, you know, Ken Krogh of InsideSales.com uses something called Anum. There's a whole mm-hmm. variety of ways that you can have a conversation with your buyers to qualify them that are right for you. But we go with PACT. And PACT is, you know, you obviously want to lead them down the path towards pain. You want to understand if they're feeling pain around a problem that you have the solution to. You absolutely want to understand their authority levels, you know, whether or not they're the sole decision maker or part of a committee. You need to understand that. Mm -hmm. You need to understand the consequence There are consequences to moving off the status quo, Mm -hmm. and people are more leery of those consequences than ever before, so that's something that you need to understand. And then finally, target profile, and I think this one is huge. You know, a prospect isn't a prospect isn't a prospect. You need to be engaging with those people who absolutely fit your sweet spot, and that's the target profile you're going after. Mm-hmm. And those are the people you should be having conversations with. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of target profile, you've got a, yet another one that's uh, a lot of, lot of torn pages out of this book, just so you know. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the idea of the, of the ABCD, again, it was so simple, but it, it, I thought it uh, dovetailed very nicely with PACT. Can you explain your, the way you're identifying your, your, your targets, the A, B, and C, and D? Sure. So, I mean, your A accounts are the people that absolutely fit your sweet spot. Um, They have a propensity to buy. You're very familiar with that propensity. You know, they're your A-list target accounts. Those those people that are worth expending a lot of effort to go get, if they're not raising their hands, it's definitely worth going and getting them. And along those lines, I think those are the accounts that account-based marketing or account-based sales development, that strategy is coming back once again. And those accounts are worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. B accounts are your bread and butter accounts. They're the ones that do raise their hands. They respond to your marketing efforts. They are fantastic accounts. They're a great revenue opportunity for your organization. And you don't want to lose focus of them on them. And there, there are a lot more of them. And there's a lot more of them. That's mm-hmm. right. The C accounts are the ones we call compelling events. So you might not go chase them, but if you have trigger events that make people a prospect for you, you want to know about those accounts. So you want to build the processes and the methodologies that allow those people to self-identify through their trigger events. Like an acquisition or some sort of changing legislation? New sales leadership, high attrition, venture funding round, whatever mergers, acquisitions, whatever your compelling event is. Mm -hmm. And then finally, and yes, we all have them. The D-list. The D-list. It's a dead end. Get over it. 
Mm-hmm. I don't care how many times they download your content. They're never going to buy from you. Embrace the fact and set them free. Mm-hmm. To turn those happy ears off. Exactly. Now, related to that, you, you say sell to everyone, close to no one. What, what does that mean? That means, you know, when I talk to a company and they say, and I'll say, who's your ideal customer profile? And they say, Fortune 2000. I'm like, we're screwed, okay? <laughs> because, you know, those who focus are those who win. So if you, if you sell to everyone, you're just spreading your resources incredibly thin. You know, you really need to target yourself. You need to draw yourself that bullseye with those perfect accounts in the middle and that every ring that expands out from that bullseye, you might have a different strategy about how you're going to pursue them. Some are worthy of account-based sales development. Some are just inbound. Some are worth targeted outbound. It all depends. But the further away you get from that bullseye, the less sales and marketing resource you should be expending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It can still come over the transom, but you just don't want to uh, spend too much uh, time and effort. And- hey, Everybody loves a bluebird, right? Yeah, everybody wins the lottery every once in a while, too. Yeah, yeah. so as a matter of fact, I have a Powerball ticket sitting on my desk that I haven't checked yet. Oh, please don't check it until after the interview. I promise, because (laughs) if I win, this will be my last interview. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you mentioned inbound, you mentioned outbound. I know the listeners to this podcast are going to be as interested in this as as I am. And that's the whole... Outbound versus inbound, you know, boxers versus briefs. And yeah. I just want to quote <laughs> from, uh, from one part of the book where you said, the most extreme inbound advocates argue that, you know, quote, interrupting buyers doesn't work anymore, end quote, while strident outbound proponents counter that sitting and waiting for someone to raise their hand is for the reactive and the timid. These debates can devolve and end in shouts of outdated barbarian, and retorts of Kool-Aid drinker, coward. These two camps are passionate about their stances and unwilling to give an inch. Think Hatfield versus McCoy, Sparta versus Troy, or Kanye versus the world. I know you weren't trying to make your readers laugh, but you got me on that one. Oh, I absolutely was trying to make my readers laugh. I think I'm funny. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And to the listener, I can attest to that. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of funny things. Like when you, at one point you talk about, uh, you know, and you call the prospect and, you know, or you're trying to uh, get their interest and you say arousing curiosity, generating interest and getting prospects to open up about their priorities is about as easy as potty training a coyote. <laughs> And we have a puppy at home, and yeah. potty training him is hard enough. I, I can't imagine a coyote. Right. But what, what, um, what's interesting, though, is about this inbound versus outbound is what you go on to talk about how um, the majority of companies source less than half of their pipeline for marketing. And well, only, you know, only the tiniest fraction, like say 10%, are, are able to get more than like three-quarters of their pipeline from inbound. I I didn't, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. Well, I mean, that's been true since I got into this industry, which is a few decades. Well, I'm catching up. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, inbound's great, right? Who doesn't love inbound leads? They're great. But, you know, you don't always L- – let me put it this way. I-, I have a saying, and I love to use it. With inbound, you get what you get. With outbound, you get what you want. 
And I think that's what puts that argument to bed. So those A accounts, if they're not responding to your inbound activities, what are you going to sit there and wait? No, go get them through outbound, Mm -hmm. you know, intelligent outbound, which is very different from sort of just, you know, spraying and praying. Mm -hmm. So I think the whole inbound versus outbound talk track is ridiculous at this point. And I think it was the Hatfield and McCoy, you know, I think HubSpot sort of started the feud. And yet I will tell you that HubSpot has the largest outbound organization of almost any technology company. So (laughs) I had on the show, uh, Mike Weinberg, author of New Sales Simplified. I adore him. Oh, that's a great book too. And, uh, and very popular because, uh, let me just say, I had the show for a year and a half, one week after his episode was published, it had the most downloads ever on yes. this podcast. But uh, it's a great book, uh, and and we talked about you know this this same you know uh, pipe dream. And yeah. I I mentioned I said I said what I told him what you just said that they have this enormous, extremely successful outbound approach. And he said that's all I needed to hear because now he's going to use that to try to um, move people off of this uh, this notion. What's also interesting is that. Um, you go on to explain that an inbound opportunity is roughly twice as valuable as one generated through outbound, but there are are with inbound there's exponentially more small companies, of course, than the big ones, and yep. so most inbound leads are are small. Um, so you say that you know you should go after if if inbound is twice as valuable, you have to go after accounts twice as large with outbound. So go after the big ones. Uh, with your outbound because your inbound is going to be catching uh, some more of those right. other ones. So, so think A, B. A, outbound. B, inbound. Mm-hmm. C, mm-hmm. trigger events. D, don't talk to them. Right, right. Now, this leads to a, a discussion in your book about all-bound. Explain, yeah. explain, explain how all-bound works. It's just the schmelding of inbound and outbound, you know, and it's a way I think we can stop this ridiculous conversation of in versus out, because I got to tell you something. I get inbound leads every day. They fill out a web form. They read our fabulous research to be found at bridgegroupinc.com on our resources page. (laughs) That's a great resources page. We're going to link to it in the show notes. There's a lot of other things there too. I think the listeners will, will really like. Awesome. Awesome. So even though I get an inbound lead, what happens? If I want to have a conversation with that person, and by the way, no sales starts until somebody has a conversation, I don't need more pen pals. I need to engage mano y mano with my potential buyers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I got an inbound lead, but I outbound them. I will call them, I will email them, I will social them until I get to the engagement part. So what's the difference between inbound and outbound? They're really it's all bound. It's mm-hmm. both. It's a schmeld. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh as it relates to cold calling, and I've seen this uh I saw this a couple of years from you where you explain that no one should be cold calling anymore. What specifically do you mean by that? So I always say it's the cold that's dead, not the calling. Right. So Doug, if I was going to go after you as a prospect, I wouldn't just 
call you out of the blue. I would do my homework. I would go to your website. I would listen to a couple of your podcasts. I would see what you were engaged with on Twitter, maybe Facebook, maybe LinkedIn. I would create, I would do my research, and we actually talk about this in the book. I call them the three C's. I would investigate you as a contact. I would investigate your company, and then I would craft a series of conversation starters Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. to use in my messaging or in my actual conversation with you. So what's cold about that? Nothing. It's it's, it's really not allowed anymore. (laughs) And to that point, you said that when you get a cold call from somebody, if I'm not mistaken, you ask them two questions. What, yes. what do you know about our company and what do you know about me personally? Yes. What happens when you ask that? So usually a humana, 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 and I hear a lot of clicking in the background, um, which is fantastic for me because then I say to the sales development rep, I say, hey, this wasn't your fault. There's a, pro- there's a process problem at your company. Why don't you ask your manager to call me and we'll talk about it and I'll help, <laughs> right? Um, now, does that or, qualify as an inbound lead or – no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. I think that would be an inbound lead. That, that same strategy, by the way, whether you're in marketing or sales, if you're interviewing, I call it the 40-second interview. So you get a candidate on the phone, marketing or sales or any, any job, it actually doesn't matter, mm-hmm. ask them those questions. What do you know about me and what do you know about my company? And if they can't answer both fluently, they weren't prepared for their interview and they won't be prepared for any assignment you give them. Yeah, it saves a lot of time. It's a 40-second interview. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, speaking of interviewing, you, you talk about in the book about you know how to basically uh, put this whole program together. So it's not just about marketing, but it's about um, – talks about uh, – finding the right people and how to you know, go about hiring them efficiently and how to keep them. Yep. Uh, quite a bit of leadership in the book. Um, and you say uh, something that, again, chuckles. I was chuckles. Uh, you said, write job descriptions, not sleep prescriptions. Yeah. <laughs> what do we... Was so, it 99% of companies are writing sleep prescriptions in their well, wanted ads? Oh, my God. They're terrible. They're like, hey, come on board. Make 100 phone calls a day. Suffer massive rejection. Sit in a small room. Yay. I'm like, <laughs> Lifetime yeah, of therapy. Sign me up. Actually, I just wrote a post on that very topic, which is doing terrible. Worst performance of any post I've ever written, which blows my mind because it has such great examples in it. Yeah. Um, and one of the companies in it, Rapid7, um, I w- did a workshop with them and we crafted a new job description, took their old one, came up with a strategy, crafted a new one, and they just sent me information that says, um, and they actually put it on the post, they were getting... They had four candidates apply for this position with the old job description and 28 qualified candidates applied based on the new job description. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why everyone looks at the job description is something boring that they're not interested in. It is your mark. It's your first marketing piece to your potential candidate. (laughs) Why care about it? Come on. You got to care about it. Well, I mean, in some organizations, is it somebody completely separate that's, that's, you know, putting these ads out there. I don't know, but it seemed like it is the way you describe it. It's such a great way to get uh, prospective, uh, good prospective employees excited and inspired about learning more and, and, and maybe, uh, 
uh, applying. Yeah. You also talk about the importance of having a lean hiring process and how so many companies drag it out forever. And the, the better ones are maybe keeping it down to two weeks if they can. I'd like to see it down to 10 days if you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, we in the, in the book, and I, I don't want to, um, you know, the book outlines a complete process right, for right. how to move someone through it. There's no excuse for not having a lean, mean hiring machine. You know, people are your most important factor way more important than what your solution does, way more important than your message, way more important than your metrics. It's the people that make you successful. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have this unbelievably well-thought-out hiring process in place, what are you doing? Mm. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) I don't know. And there's even there's uh, things in the book as well as elsewhere backing up why it's more profitable uh, why, why these uh, happy, motivated employees are uh, much better for the, for the bottom line. It's better for your customers, too, which is also Absolutely. good for the bottom line. Now, in terms of keeping these folks, uh, you said there was a, there's, there's a joke in sales. So this isn't Trish Pertuzzi who said this, but the key to sales management is sincerely caring about each rep. Once you can fake that, the rest is easy. I didn't say that. I know. I, that's right. But but what are the factors that are, you know, making reps, uh, you know, stay with a company and, and, and versus seeking opportunities elsewhere? I think the coin of the realm has become a learning culture. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we look at – because most of the people that are in these roles are um, – first or second job out of college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can read all this bull doohickey about millennials and how they they have a need for speed and it's up or out. But it's up or out because we don't offer them anything else. Mm -hmm. So in the book, we talk about how you can create a learning culture. Mm -hmm. Because, see, people are confused between the difference between promotions and adding new skills to my resume. That's what they really want is Mm -hmm. new skills added to their resume. Mm -hmm. And we think we have to fulfill that with these major promotions. We don't. And we lay out a strategy on how to create both the learning culture and keep people with you longer through a series of what we call micro promotions. It's all laid out in the book. Right, right. And you talk about building a learning culture and even uh, you talk about having a quarterly book club at work. Yeah. So, Trisha, just a just a small favor I want to ask. When the second edition comes out, um, if you could just mention the Marketing Book Podcast <laughs> as part of that curriculum, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. All right. Let me see what I can do yeah, for you. Yeah, thanks. I don't expect an answer now. Um, okay. Now, one other question, though. Why should the term sales coaching and sales training not be used interchangeably? Well, I mean, there's a difference between – Teaching someone or sharing information for the first time, which is what training is, or reinforcing information through training. And then to me, coaching is about behavior modification. When when people invest in training, they say, I'm going to have a trainer come in and teach all of my team members these skills. And let's say you have a dozen different team members. 
Well, the strengths and weaknesses of those team members are not 100% aligned. Some might have strengths in one area, others weaknesses in another. So training doesn't address that issue. Coaching, on the other hand, does. Coaching is one-on-one versus one-to-many. Coaching is very custom. I'm going to tell you what your strengths are and make sure you replicate them, and then I'm going to help you in a couple different areas of weakness. It's very, very customized. And to me, that's the big difference between coaching and training. Both are required, absolutely, but they serve two different masters. Mm-hmm. One other question, Trish, I was thinking of Jill Conrad, um, <laughs> was uh, you talk in there uh, in the book about the benefits of having some uh, like new sales development reps meet with marketing people who are in the demand generation role. What, what are the benefits of, of that? Well, number one, it gives them exposure to another potential career in your organization. I think they should meet with finance customer success, product marketing, you name it. I think the more exposure this talent gets within your organization, the better. Because even if they don't want to stay in sales development, if they're smart and worth keeping, you want to keep them within your organization. Mm -hmm. But I think understanding how marketing works is a critical component for a sales development rep or a sales rep at all. Because understanding what a campaign means and why we did this campaign and why we put forth this message and what does that mean and who are we trying to attract. I think all of that fits in beautifully for how a sales development rep can craft both their cadence and their um, message and process. Mm -hmm. It also occurred to me that one of the benefits of is also so much to marketing because this person is a Sales development, and they're de- they're they're dealing with these prospects all the time. They might then look and see, well, actually, you know, that's not completely aligned with what my world is here. Right. We're, we're missing the mark a bit. So, um, Trish, if if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Hashtag variables matter. Very good, very good. And you explained that at the beginning. What books have inspired your work and career? So. I mean, I'm an avid reader, so I loved Mike Weinberg's book. I love Jeb Blount's book. I love everything Jill Conrath publishes, Art Subcheck, Josiane Fagan, you name it. There's, a, there's so many authors that I love. Jim Keenan's book, Not Taught. Those are all great books. But I would have to say the most inspired I've ever been uh, was when I read Snap Selling by Jill Conrath. Mm. And I actually picked up the phone and called her. And I said, okay, you just changed my life. And Did I want you to know her at that it. point? No. Wow. And now I consider her a dear friend and a colleague. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So that truly inspired me. Oh, great. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? So if you're in the tech space, especially the startup tech space, and you have not yet disrupted by Dan Lyons, go get the book. <laughs> I have not read that one yet. Oh my God. Wow. What, what, did, you, what, what did you like about it? Uh, first of all, it's a highly entertaining read. Mm, that's what I've heard. Yep. Um, and it changed my view 
of the industry I've been a part of for 30 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you probably knew a lot of the folks that were oh, my being, goodness. being mentioned in the book. I did. I did. And, you know, that part I'm, I, I'm going to prefer not to talk about because, you know, two sides to every story. Yep. But it certainly made it much more entertaining for me. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they changed their names, I think. And, uh, uh, then he called them out at the end. Oh, okay. Okay. Because yeah. yep. I know, like, uh, Marcus Sheridan, that that character is referred to as Brandon, I think, in the book. Yeah. I haven't read it, and uh, I don't know that Dan will be on the uh, be on the show. You will uh, laugh out loud. Yeah. Well, I've always found him to be so, so funny. He is. So how can listeners best find out more about you and your book? All right. Well, website is bridgegroupinc.com. I tweet at bridgegroupinc. Um, Very consistent, Trish. That's good. I am. It's called branding. See, and I'm not even in marketing. And the book is on Amazon. It's got a lot of reviews. Um, I'm real proud of it. As you should be. Thank you. The name of the book is The Sales Development Playbook, Build Repeatable Pipeline and Accelerate Growth with Inside Sales. The author is Trish Bertuzzi. Trish, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. It was my pleasure. And that closes the book on episode 79 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free marketing guides for my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Now, boy, do I get a kick out of hearing from listeners like you. It really makes my day when a listener contacts me with a suggestion or a book recommendation. Or if I can point you to the right book or other marketing resource, please let me know if I can help. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Or heck, just tweet me up using hashtag marketingbook. And please join us next time as we talk with Matthew Wilcox about his award-winning book, The Business of Choice, Marketing to Consumers' Instincts. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.